Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. For many women, pregnancy and birth is a joyful and positive experience. However, in the UK alone, about 30,000 women a year experience a traumatic birth. In this episode, we speak to Nikki Wilson about birth trauma. Nikki is the CEO of Make Birth Better, a collective of experts who bring together lived experience and extensive professional knowledge of birth trauma and vicarious trauma. We talk about why birth trauma happens, how birth trauma shows, the impact of birth trauma on partners and families, and whether it is possible to have another positive experience following a previous birth trauma. My name is Caroline Johansson, and you're listening to the podcast, To Become a Mother. Hi, Nikki. You are the CEO of the Make Birth Better which is a collective group of experts in birth trauma. And to start with in this interview, I'd just like to understand what birth trauma is, because I guess there is, you know, giving birth is always associated with a lot of emotions and it's one of the biggest experiences you will go through. But what makes birth trauma different to all the feelings that you will have with a, so to say, normal birth? Yes, so to say, indeed, yeah. Thank you for having me. So the words birth and trauma put together, in some ways not always that helpful because we would default to think that we're talking about um, symptoms of trauma relating to the birth itself. And actually what we're talking about is symptoms of trauma relating to the birth and or circumstances around the birth. So really, in layperson's speak, we're talking about experiences that may have left you feeling intensely afraid, fearful, out of control or helpless, either when you were giving birth or perhaps when you were pregnant or trying to become pregnant or after you had your baby as well. And they, these symptoms and um, situations would have to leave a lasting imprint on you mentally and physically to kind of fit in this box, if you like, of of birth trauma. Really, the phrase perinatal trauma is what the clinicians prefer as a more accurate phrase to describe what we're talking about. And you mentioned circumstantial issues that can give rise to birth trauma. Is that the only reason? the birth trauma rise? Yeah, there's so many reasons. So we know that up to 40% of women and birthing people in this country, in the UK, find their an element of their birth in some way traumatizing. Mm. 
And we know those symptoms um, that may come as a result are very much on a spectrum. In terms of your likelihood to suffer birth trauma and what causes it, there's kind of two ways of looking at this. So there are certain things that increase your susceptibility to finding something within this perinatal journey more traumatic than another person. And within that mix of susceptibility factors, you've got people who are living in what you might call marginalized groups. So people who are black, brown, or ethnically diverse, people who are LGBTQIA+, people living with a disability, people who are displaced, seeking asylum, for whom perhaps English is not their first language. You've also got people in that mix who have experienced significant adverse experiences prior to this point in their life. So that might look like abuse, that look, might look like neglect, previous baby loss, for example. And then you've got people who are already living with physical or mental health issues. So they may have physical health issues that are affecting their pregnancy. They may have mental health issues. So for example, if you've suffered with depression in pregnancy, you'd be more likely to suffer with birth trauma. They may be people living with kind of what we might call maladaptive coping strategies. So you may be somebody who naturally copes by numbing or dissociating yourself from a situation. And you may have a history of PTSD. So, I mean, these are things that can increase your susceptibility, but that is not to say that if you don't fit into one of those categories that you wouldn't suffer birth trauma. We just know that some things increase your susceptibility. So if I look at my own experience of someone who suffered birth trauma, I'm a white woman of privilege who is cisgendered. Um, but actually, if I look at my experience before I went into pregnancy and birth, I suffered a number of adverse childhood experiences. I had a very intense fear of death. I um, also lived with and continue to live with mild to moderate mental health issues around anxiety and depression. So in some ways, completely unbeknownst to me, I was more likely to suffer from, from birth trauma. And then the other way of looking at it is, is the causes, the kind of themes that come out around the causes. And I don't think any of these are, are a great surprise other than the realization that just interpersonal factors alone can be the reason someone suffers from birth trauma. So the causes include things like a lack of consent. Perhaps you face some kind of medical emergency. Perhaps you felt at some point you or your baby might die. Perhaps you felt out of control or silenced or alone. You might have had a very quick labor. You might have had a very long labor. We know both of those are important causes for some. You might have had your pain not managed, not listened to. The way your pain was being perceived perhaps may not have been understood. You may have suffered some kind of physical injury as a result of your birth or your pregnancy. You may be coming up against very real systemic issues within our healthcare services, such as systemic racism. And also you may be affected by interpersonal factors. So if you were met with a sense of ambivalence or dismissal or hostility, we know that that alone, as I've said, is enough to cause birth trauma. And really the language that's used in this very vulnerable environment is really important. The level of compassion is really important. Just how safe and supported we feel is really, really important too. 
in terms of the marginalized groups and those being more susceptible to birth trauma, why is that? Is that because they, when they are giving birth, they're already in a very vulnerable position. So then adding that on top and maybe how they are being perceived then heightens everything in their experience. It's absolutely, a, a, that's a big part of it. So the, the, who they have been up to that point and the level of trauma that they may have experienced in their life. If you have experienced more trauma because you have been marginalized by society, you are more likely to be traumatized by other difficult, challenging events. It's also partly around that systemic piece that I was saying to you. So we know that people, let's say they are black, brown or ethnically diverse, let's say they're in the LGBTQIA plus community, for example, they're more likely to be greeted by a system that doesn't always make them feel welcome or safe or heard or seen. So if they're being put into what feels like an unsafe environment and then being asked to be incredibly vulnerable in that space, that can be a, a really difficult challenge for, for some people. Mm. And then also in terms of mental health and how you were mentioning how you're going into the pregnancy, how you were feeling at the time, you know, whether you had any mental health issues then or before could have an impact. I'm just thinking back um, on COVID and the loneliness that so many people faced and everything else that was going on, the anxiety, the worry. Um, have you seen in your practice that uh, there's an increase in birth trauma as a result or is this something that we are awaiting statistics to kind of find out? We're not waiting. Yeah, we know. So we knew throughout the pandemic, we ran a big campaign called Think Trauma Now because it was obvious from the moment that really the first headlines hit, as soon as we were pumping fear and stress into our very human bodies, that instantly increased everybody's baseline susceptibility to birth trauma if they were in that phase of perhaps trying to conceive or were pregnant or about to give birth. The pandemic created and we are now living with the legacy of many women, birth people and their families who were traumatised because of the circumstances that um, COVID created in the NHS. And was that also in terms of the restrictions that was put on the maternity care when they were giving birth and, you know, on top of the cuts that are already there, so to speak. Yes. So we did a lot of work during the height of the pandemic to understand what was causing the most distress for people who were pregnant at the time. The main themes that came out were that sense of loneliness and that sense of either actually the practice of being left alone. So for example, I was pregnant in the pandemic and I had to go for my scans on my own. And as we know, not everybody comes out of a scan with positive news. So there was that, you know, let's say someone's faced a previous loss and they're being asked to attend a scan alone. And there was a lot of scenarios, wasn't there, around, you know, how dilated you had to be before your partner could come in, countless stories of partners being left in car parks, being left to wait outside and so on. There was also the impact of the constant change of information. So people felt very unsure of what their journey was going to look like because whilst the trusts were absolutely doing their best to communicate, given the circumstances, 
in many cases, there was a real lack of clarity around what the regulations were, what the rules were, how they were changing. So that was causing a lot of distress for people. And then also a lot of the additional services that sit around the basics of of birth. So let's say birth debrief clinics or additional mental health uh, services, a lot of those stopped. And we know that at least 50% of people who were having mental health support found that their support stopped during the pandemic. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a lot. And if you have gone through a bad birth or a traumatic birth, I should say, and you are experiencing birth trauma, what are the symptoms? Yeah, really good question. Trauma is a big word, right? So a lot of us, we might think of trauma and we don't we don't necessarily know what that even means. And in fact, it feels a lot like other things that we might have experienced on that kind of mental health spectrum. So if I talk from personal experience, for example, I know as someone who very much knew what it felt like to live with a higher kind of nervous disposition, so a higher sense of anxiety, my sense of from kind of an average of, let's say 10 to like 100, it's like a level I never knew existed. So to get really clinical about it, it is kind of easiest to break it down. So if you were looking to diagnose someone with birth trauma, you would be looking at the symptoms of PTSD. So you, what's important as I illustrate these is that to meet the clinical diagnosis as P, of PTSD, you would have to experience all of these symptoms, all four of these symptoms I'm going to run through for at least four weeks or more. However, <laughs> If you don't meet that criteria, that does not mean that your distress is less valid. So what we know is that birth trauma, we often default saying postnatal PTSD and birth trauma as if they're interchangeable phrases, when in fact what we're talking about is a spectrum. So someone may suffer from acute PTSD at one end of the scale. So we know that about 3 to 8% of those people who experience their birth as in some way traumatic will go on to meet the clinical diagnosis of PTSD. But those people who may associate just with one of these symptoms may still find that that's really, really limiting their life. So that's where we would say they're suffering from birth trauma as opposed to postnatal PTSD. So the four main symptoms that you're talking about, so the first one is re-experiencing your traumatic event or experience. So that might look like flashbacks. Now they don't have to be, we all imagine like, you know, images and it might not look like that or it might, but for some people, this is a smell that transports them back to their experience. Distress after some kind of reminder um, of, of what they've been through. Perhaps it's nightmares, perhaps it's some kind of physiological reaction in their body or pain is quite common here as well. Avoidance behaviours is the second uh, symptom. So this is where you might, let's say, avoid going back to the hospital where you gave birth. You might avoid seeing pregnant friends. You might avoid any kind of conversation around birth. You may sadly also find yourself wanting to avoid your baby and feeling a heightened sense of threat. So this is the one I was just illustrating with my, my own example. This is like postnatal anxiety, but it's, it's a very high level of, of stress. So you're likely to be more jumpy to, to noises. You're likely to perhaps be more irritable or quick to anger. You're likely to find it more difficult to concentrate or to sleep. It's a very, what they often call hypersensitive. So what I found, for example, was that, and I was at the acute end, 
But for me, this was, I couldn't look out the window because the flickering of the leaves and the light was too much. Couldn't sit downstairs and watch the Graham Norton show because the flashing lights behind were too much. I couldn't, when I started to leave my house, I couldn't go into shops because the bright lights and the noise in a shop was too much. So it's like this real, real hypervigilance to your surroundings. That sounds very debilitating if you're experiencing that on or in four weeks or Oh, absolutely. Yes. And as I say, if, that, if it was just that one thing, and I don't say just lightly, that's enough to cause somebody to, yeah, to live with significant life-changing effects. And yeah, I couldn't leave my bedroom without having a panic attack. I couldn't fall asleep without someone holding my hand and tell me I wasn't dying. Yes, I couldn't even look out the window. So it was, I was at the extreme end, but yeah, absolutely. I couldn't conceive of ever, ever being the same version of myself again. And then the last one is negative thoughts and feelings. So, and we probably go on to talk about, won't we, about um, postnatal depression and and why very often these two, um, these two clinical disorders, you might call them, are on off confused or sometimes PND is um or PTSD is misdiagnosed as PND. And that doesn't say, mean to say they can't coexist because they can, but um there is a, a lot of confusion here. And because these negative thoughts and feelings are also a symptom of postnatal PTSD. So that might present as feeling really flat, overly critical, have an exaggerated sense of blame or guilt towards yourself. You might be suffering from intrusive thoughts. Uh, you might be really struggling to connect in, into the world because you're so consumed by, by your negative thoughts and feelings. So those are the four. So re-experiencing avoidance behaviours, heightened sense of threat and negative thoughts and feelings. When you're saying that um, often there's a confusion, there is an overlap between postnatal depression and PTSD birth trauma. Is that confusion on the medical profession when they are doing the diagnosis because they're not so familiar with birth trauma? So they just assign everything to postnatal depression because that's what people are speaking about. Or is it just that they are so close that it's very hard to just tell them apart? No, it's the, it's the former, not the latter. Absolutely. So if I consider that I wasn't diagnosed until two years after the event and I was given a, as simple as a one pager, sheets listing the symptoms and that was the it was as easy as that it was as easy as someone saying is this what you had I was like that's exactly what I had and you could give me the same sheet for PND and I would have been able to say that's not quite well that's certainly not everything what I experienced so what really where we're at with with birth trauma is we're a long way behind postnatal depression and yet it is still incredibly prevalent. I have in front of me here, for example, an article recently published in the BMJ. So, you know, very, very reputable journal for GPs and primary care professionals, essentially illustrating to them, this is PTSD, this is birth trauma, this is what you need to look out for, and this is how it differs from PND. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of reasons as to why we're that far behind, partly it's because of our societal narrative around and our cultural norms around expecting that birth should be joy joyful about centering the baby. It's also our societal narrative until about 20 years ago, it was 
categorically broadly believe that birth could not be perceived as a traumatic event. Oh, wow. That's a big difference from how it is today. Yeah. Okay. So it was only in 2014, so only eight years ago, that birth was put into our kind of NHS guidelines, our NICE guidelines, to say that birth could be considered as a potentially traumatic event that someone might have experienced. So we're a long way, we're a long way behind. The, the penny has dropped a lot later than it has around postnatal depression. And then um, just in terms of the penny has dropped, do you think it has really dropped yet? No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't. Um, I think it is dropping. So if I, for example, a huge part of our work, so we focus at Make Birth Better on support and campaigning and training. So we have trained thousands of healthcare professionals across the UK in the last couple of years because the penny is dropping within the NHS. So for example, there are new maternal mental health services that are specifically focused around trauma and loss. So there is a real change in awareness around within the healthcare professions that this is this is a thing. This is something that we have been essentially ignoring for a long time. Having said that, there is still a massive barrier to people, A, being diagnosed quickly, B, being given the treatment they need and also being misdiagnosed. So there's absolutely still a long way to go. I mean, I live at Make Birth Better with my colleagues in a in this kind of weird world where we live and breathe birth trauma in the nicest possible way. So we can sometimes lose perspective, but it doesn't take long before we're reminded Um for example, I spoke to a psychiatrist the other day and I used the words postnatal PTSD. And he was like, what is postnatal PTSD? <laughs> so he's like a Harley Street psychiatrist. And yet, having said that, that same week, I spoke to a GP who's a, a new mum friend that met a, a baby group. And she's like, oh, I saw that BMJ article. That was really interesting. I'd never thought about it. So her penny was dropping. Yeah. So it is in the process of change but it's slow, like any kind of significant change. Mm. And I just need to ask you too, and this is um, going a bit uh, out of script, but just in terms of the perception of birth as being, there is this narrative at the moment that I experienced when I gave birth and I prepared for birth, that was a very positive narrative around birth and pushing a very natural type of birth with um, messages like, your body was designed to do this and, you know, naturally you'll be able to do this. My birth did not go to plan and it was not natural. And in hindsight, I can think that those messages, I can understand that they are helpful and encouraging women to prepare and go in positively. But at the same time, when you're looking back at your experience and that wasn't so positive, it can feel quite isolating and lonely. Is that something that you have come across too? And are you? Absolutely, 100%. And I'm sorry your birth was difficult. This is really why at Make Birth Better, we believe the only way that we can end suffering from birth trauma is to take a really systemic approach. So we're not just trying to raise awareness like this on this podcast, hopefully more people becoming aware that they can be traumatized by birth. What might that look like or feel like? We're also working with healthcare professionals to make sure that they're being looked after so that they can care for 
people who are in their care. We're also talking about societal narratives and how they need to change. We're also talking about antenatal education and how that needs to shift. You know, we're we're trying to overthrow in the societal narrative piece, we're trying to overthrow centuries of perception about the matriarchy and the patriarchy and, and how women should be and how we should behave and how we should move into motherhood in this kind of joyful way. The difficulty is, and, and something we always talk about a lot at Make Birth Better, is it's not black and white. It's not either positive birth or a negative birth. It's the fact that there's nuance and, and that there's a spectrum of things that can happen. And yeah, your body is physiologically designed to birth your baby through out of your vagina, but it doesn't always work out like that. So we are always, from our perspective around antenatal education, it's always around balance. And also it's about shifting some of those norms. There is change happening here, but there's a really long way to go. But there is change. So for example, when you were talking and you used, you used that word, words, I did not have a natural birth. So we would say um, you didn't have a vaginal birth. You had an abdominal birth or you had a, an instrumental birth. And the Royal College of Midwives, for example, has just released a, a whole new mandate across midwifery to change the language around birth to say all birth is birth. And that's even just a small, subtle, but really important mindset shift is that you are taught to believe that if it's vaginal birth, that's natural, that's tick box for me, I did it right. And if it's an abdominal birth, that somehow that's wrong, less valid, less of a maternal experience. For us to really believe that takes a lot of courage because we have internalized these narratives. They're living within us. They live within our mothers, their mothers, and their mothers before them. So it's, it's a tough topic. And also with antenatal education, you are you're balancing, aren't you? Because you know people are likely to be afraid and to be facing, a, you know, people know that they're going to be entering a very vulnerable state. So it's a real skill set in those antenatal educators to hold people, to keep them feeling safe, but to broaden their awareness about all of the different types of birth and how valid they are. So it, it's, it's a tough space, but it's one that we just need to keep advocating for change. Yeah. And just what you're saying with that language shift, that's so important just in terms of how you are thinking about your own experience. So, well, it's good to hear it's going in that direction. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you are suffering from birth trauma, where can you turn to if you um, need help? But you mentioned earlier that the medical profession is unfortunately not always that aware of birth trauma. Uh, but is there somewhere you can go? Yes, there is. So there's lots of different ways about this. And of course, there'll be different circumstances for different people. So it might be that they were traumatized in a previous pregnancy or birth, um, or it might be that they are pregnant for the first time. It might be that they've recently had their baby. So whatever that, that looks like, what we are advocating more for is to raise awareness of what these symptoms look like so that it's easier for us to go to our GPs or our health visitors or our midwives to say, I think I'm suffering from birth trauma and this is why. And if we can be that explicit about it, it's much more likely that you will get the support you need. And know that is a tall order for people because most people may not understand quite what's happening to them. But we do have to find our courage to say those words, I'm not okay, to the healthcare professionals who are supporting us on our perinatal journey. There are specialist midwives. So if you're still in under the care of midwifery, there are specialist mental health midwives that are well worth seeking out and talking to. On the NHS, um, there's different levels of service. Every trust will have um, what they call IAPT. So that's um, a funny a acronym, but that is where you would be offered what they call a stepped care approach. So you might be offered some, some type of therapy online, some group therapy, some worksheets. What we know is often that that isn't specific enough and people get mis-signposted into that space and expected to, to heal from let's say six, six to eight online sessions, what you can ask for and really what those IAPT um, teams should be doing is if they begin to see there's some kind of perinatal trauma, they should be referring you to the, the local perinatal mental health specialists. So they come under many and multiple different names. But if you were to say or ask to say who is the perinatal mental health specialist team in this area, um, that is well worth asking about. You might also find uh, that you are offered medication. And for some people, that can be a, a really significant game changer. You might also be offered what's sometimes called a birth debrief. So to go back to the hospital and discuss with a healthcare professional the events and, and what occurred. I would always say I, for example, couldn't go down the road that was on the way to the hospital. 
So there was no way I was going to be able to go back to the hospital to have those conversations with an individual. Um, so you're never obliged to have a birth debrief and go into it with an open mind because there are always different agendas at play. And what's so important that we haven't necessarily illustrated this point is that birth trauma is subjective. It's in the eye of the beholder. So someone who has an obstetrically straightforward birth can suffer from birth trauma. So if your notes, because so what can happen in these birth debriefs is they can say it, it all went well. It was straightforward. You didn't tear, you know, it was a vaginal birth or it was a emergency cesarean, but it all went to plan. So some of that nuance around the interpersonal sides of an experience can get lost in those debriefs. So they can be really helpful, but equally keep an open mind if they don't necessarily meet the brief of, of what you wanted. Now, there is a lack of funding across all of these areas in terms of um, your chances of getting through long waiting lists, seeing the person you need as quickly as, as you need. So that's where organisations like Make Birth Better come in. We obviously have extensive information on our website. You can email us, hello at makebirthbetter.org. We'll help to signpost you. If you are in a position to afford private support, which of course a lot of people are not, but if they are, we can signpost that kind of support as well. So there is help out there. Um, and also the Birth Trauma Association, BTA, have a Facebook group where people can meet other people who may have found their experiences very difficult and, and gain some of that peer-to-peer -peer support. Again, go gently because generally it's not a great idea to go into the details of your trauma with someone else who's traumatized. But having said that, that peer-to-peer -peer support can be really invaluable. Yeah. Is there anything you can do in case you are suffering from birth trauma yourself to make you feel better? Yeah, it's a really good question. If you decide to have therapy or if it's offered to you, you'll want to, well, if it's within the NHS, it's going to be either trauma-informed CBT or it's going to be something called EMDR, which is really interesting and very effective therapy uh, around eye movement reprocessing. So those are the two kind of uh, at least nice approved therapies, but that is not to say that there are not countless other healing modalities. And we know from experience and through reviewing the literature that there's lots of other ways in which we can help ourselves or seek the support we need. So for example, it may sound obvious, but sleep is really key. So we can process a lot of our trauma whilst we're sleeping. So the more you can do to try and find those opportunities for rest, um, incredibly powerful. I know that was really, really important for me. Exercise, you know, it's, it's always in the mix, but it's, it can be really, really, really helpful because for a lot of people, the trauma will be held or it'll feel like it's being held in their bodies. So I, for example, had this this constant sense of like someone stamping on my windpipe on my chest. Other people feel physical pain in certain parts of their bodies that doesn't necessarily meet any known cause. So exercise can be really, really helpful in working through those. So it doesn't, you know, be whatever exercise you're most drawn to intuitively, such as yoga, Pilates, 
then meditation people will suggest that to you time and time again. I know, for example, I myself felt comfortable and, and mindfulness meditation played a big part in my recovery. But go really gently around breathing and meditation because sometimes for people who are already distressed, focusing on what's in their heads can cause them to perhaps be triggered. So go gently, but always worth exploring. There's something called tapping you may not have heard of, you may have heard of, or EFT that many people will cite as helpful. Journaling, so also known as narrative exposure therapy for the fancy word, but we know that writing out our experiences can be really powerful. So for example, our co-founder, Dr. Emma Svanberg, has written a book called Why Birth Trauma Matters find it on our website. And in that, she has some reflective exercises to prompt you that you you can journal on to help you process your experiences. Psychotherapy is another really powerful one in the mix. Physiotherapy for those who have uh, suffered more of a birth injury peer groups and online help. So, you know, reaching out to us at Make Birth Better, reaching out to Birth uh, Trauma Association or others. And then there's just a constant evolution of new research paradigms. So there's some all kinds of interesting things that, that are being looked at, such as how inflammation in the body, we might be able to moderate that to reduce our signs and symptoms of trauma. There's some really interesting research about the use of LSD and other psychedelics alongside psychotherapy and the impact that could have. So there's a long list of other research paradigms that some people explore as well. It's really about intuition. I think I say listening to your mind, to your body, sensing what fits and, and really creating your toolkit as you go along. So if you try something, it doesn't feel right. You don't have to persist. You can step away and try a different type of exercise or swap exercise for rest or sleep. If the meditation doesn't work, what else in that realm might suit you better? So yes, there are absolutely a lot of ways that you can help yourself and ask for the help of others to feel better. Yeah, thank you. That's a long list of possible things to do. Some of, one thing that struck me with, with some of the things is that it requires someone else to maybe help you with the baby if you're suffering from the straight after birth. So that would probably be a case of relying on you know, your partner, friends and family uh, and ask for that help um, to be able to, to do this for yourself. And that's understandably hard because we naturally want to center the baby. We don't want to prioritize ourselves. We might feel a sense of shame or guilt. Um, ultimately, it's really important to know that our wellness is interrelated to the wellness of our children. So if, if you can let that motivate you, mm. if doing it for yourself feels too much, think about doing it for your baby yeah. um, to help yourself heal will help them to feel well too. So it's hard. It's really hard to prioritize those things. Um, and it's valid to find that challenging. It's about acknowledging that guilt, shame, struggle, and still somehow from within you finding that strength, which is there to ask for the help that you need. And if you um, have experienced birth trauma and you're thinking of having another baby, or maybe you're thinking you don't want another baby, but there is still this wish to have a sibling for your child, what approach should you take? I mean, apart from seeking that help that you said, is there any way 
you can think about it differently or anything you can do? Absolutely, there is. (laughs) So I suffered my postnatal PTSD and the kind of height of my symptoms were across 2014 and 15. And Thomas was my first son. And I now have Matty and I also have Jesse. So I've gone on to have two more children. When I was in the height of my PTSD, one of my biggest repetitive fears was I'll never be able to have another baby. I'll never be able to have another baby. And I'd longed for that my whole life to have more babies. And many people can't get beyond that. That fear becomes very ingrained in their mind and in their bodies. And they choose to to have their perhaps one child and, and decide they can't have another one. But there's grief in there and there's distress and there's challenge because there's a lot of letting go for people that come to that decision. If people feel they have the strength to work through their fear, I am living proof that it can be better. My PTSD diagnosis came at the beginning of my journey of, could I possibly conceive of ever having another baby? So I started having therapy and I started working through both with myself and with my husband, what on earth had happened, how it pieced together, understanding why I was still so terrified. And then I fell pregnant much more quickly than I'd expected. But I'm not going to sugarcoat it, Caroline. So I was terrified. I was so scared that the same thing was going to happen again. There's a clinical disorder called tocophobia. So this is an intense fear of childbirth. So that's really common in people who've suffered a previous trauma, that they will suffer from tocophobia in their second pregnancy. And that was really tough. (laughs) So I spent all of my second pregnancy feeling like I was pushing against a headwind of fear. But I had support around me. I had learned that it was okay to be really vulnerable, to lean into everyone around me to carry me through. I had established a, a sense of my kind of support crew who was in there. I was managing the services myself, or at least with the support of a therapist. So she was helping me to make sure that the maternal mental health team, the specialist midwife, the obstetrician, the health visitor all knew who I was and why I was more vulnerable. I had a plan. So we had a red, amber, green plan for, you know, what happens if Nikki is presenting the same symptomology after birth again? What if she's not? And it was really about that level of planning and management that got me to the point of having, having Matthew, of having Matty. And it was an incredibly healing experience. So I had an abdominal birth. I had a lot of support around me. And really the people who were caring for me understood why it mattered so much that they looked after me. It's like the NA, they, they knew what to do because really you're really calling on humans to be human. And when they hold you in that safe way, a lot of that potential for trauma fell away. And it was a really positive experience. And that's so wonderful to hear that the second birth, even though it's hard to go through that pregnancy, and I can imagine that it must have intensified the closer you got um, to the actual birth. But the fact that it was so healing is really, it's really nice to hear. I think. And if you are undertaking this process, I guess you would also have to rely a lot on your partner if you have a partner. 
and who's been present at the birth. And some women that I've spoken to who have experienced birth trauma have mentioned that it can be really hard to speak to their other halves about it and for them to understand. How do you go about having that conversation and connecting with your partner about what you have gone through? Well, I think it's really important to understand that partners can be traumatized too. There's not enough data yet to understand the percentages and the stats and the facts. Uh, There's a brilliant um, chap at the University of, of Bournemouth, Dr. Andy Mayers, and he's doing a lot of research into this. So we know that when it comes to partners, kind of main themes that come out around birth trauma and fathers and partners is them being very affected by a fear of death, very affected by trying to keep it all together, very affected by this sense that they might be watching helplessly as something, these are the the words from the research, something catastrophic unfolds. And then many cases will feel that their responses are are unjustified and will cope by avoiding and through avoidance. So that makes those conversations really hard. (laughs) partly because they may feel like their their opinions are not valid, partly because their trauma is likely to be unprocessed, and because these are very emotive topics. So my husband and I had to go to therapy together to have a managed conversation around this. I didn't manage to get him to many sessions, I hasten to add. But I felt like every time I opened up the conversation, he was very quick to close it down, which was his like, you nearly died. I can't go there again. And it was very much like, it's a no, you know, no more babies, it's a no. And we have a really high functioning marriage. So that's why yeah, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I've got no tips necessarily to make those conversations easier other than building an awareness that a partner might be traumatized as well, thinking about ways you might be able to facilitate those conversations and signposting perhaps resources to um, to a partner. And it might appear a bit passive aggressive sometimes. <laughs> they may not have asked for those resources, but signposting where possible them towards um, support that they might need as well. So for example, on our website, we have a whole partners section a great book just been released by Elliot Ray about PTSD and dads. The book's just called Dad, D-A-D by Elliot Ray. And there's other areas too. So there's um, projects called Fathers Reaching Out from Dads to Dads, Dad's Net. And yeah, it, it's a complex and, and messy mix of priorities and, and experiences that are coming into play there. But you can have those conversations. If they're important to both of you, they can be had. Just knowing where your partner is coming from and that their reluctance to talk is not necessarily them invalidating your experience, but it's their way of dealing with their own. It's good to know, I think, when you're going into those conversations. Yeah, I totally agree. Thank you very much for having this discussion with me. It's been super interesting, very fascinating, and I think it's a brilliant job that you guys are doing at Make Birth Better. It's so important. So thank you for sharing that today. Thank you for having us.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.